Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Perfectly Good Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that is counting down every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. We are going to the beginning, at least the beginning of my fandom today. I am Jesse Jackson, and we are dancing in the streets with my wonderful sister, Sylvan Groth. How are you? Yeah. I am good. And yeah, it's the beginning for me too, because the album we're discussing a song from today was my twin released the same year as me. Yes. So very nice. Yeah. We are talking no more dancing, dancing in the street. No more in parentheses from Slugline. I'm going to let you do just the facts and then I'll give you my Slugline story. Oh, yay. Just the facts. So Dancing in the Street, the official title, parentheses no more, was track number five from Slugline, which was released in January 1979, which ended a four-year hiatus where there was no John Hyatt records. And this is the third official CD from John Hyatt, or of course, album as it was then. It's the first song that we've discussed from that album, which was produced by Denny Bruce for MCA, who was also John's manager at the time. It was re-released, speaking of CDs, in 1993 as a double disc with Slugline and Two-Bit Monsters as a double. It actually peaked at number 202 on the U.S. album chart, the first of John Hyatt's albums to chart, and it The liner notes are sparse. We were just talking about not being sure about some of the lyrics here and there. These are the days where John was the angry young man and would say, I remember being on my knees in front of a stereo with the treble turned way up or however they used to do it to handwrite the lyrics. And if you want to know what I'm saying, you got to do the same thing. I, I find that hilarious. And I wonder how often he was misquoted to himself before he decided to start printing the lyrics in his CDs or his record albums. The musicians on this album are not listed by track, so I'm not sure exactly who played on this. There is actually four different drummers listed on the Slugline album. So make your own Spinal Chap joke there. Also featured Doug Yankis on guitar and John Paris on bass and guitar. John Paris is still out there doing his troubadour musician thing. And he has a great website where he talks about working with John. I definitely recommend checking that out. And I am definitely going to reach out to him and ask if he would like to be a guest on the podcast, because we'd love to talk to you about whichever songs you did. There was also a couple of different covers of this song that we shared on our YouTube. Maria Moldar, who has covered multiple John Hyatt songs, also a great version of Feels Like Rain, if you want to check that out, and a band called Herman Brood and His Wild Romance and Dancing in the Street actually made the best of Herman Brood and His Wild Romance. So there you go. Those are just the facts of this song. Although actually, asterisk, not a fact about this song, but for those of you keeping track, there is a very obvious connection to the song Dancing in the Street, which was released in 1964. This was released in 19... 79. So keep in mind that it was a 15 year difference of what he's talking about and what he is presently living in when we discuss this song. 
Very nice. Yes. I have talked about this a little bit in the past, but I started dating Linda in 1980. And at the time, one of her best friends was a girl named Jennifer. And Jennifer was dating Rick Lisko. And Rick is the one he was going to school in Houston at Rice. And he and his buddy, Doug, who I'm trying to get to join us on the podcast, discovered John Hyatt. And they discovered Slugline. And it was one of their favorite bands. They loved John. They were able to see him at a small club in Houston once. And the he was so excited about Slugline that Jennifer got it and Linda got it and everyone got it. And when Jennifer and Rick broke up, he showed up at Jennifer's house and said, give me back my damn slug line tape. <laughs> um, it, it is important, no matter what stage of relationship you are in, to very early lay down the rules of the music collection, especially yes. the John Hyatt collection. Yes. yes. He and Jennifer did get back together. They got married they did later divorce. Rick did pass multiple years ago. And as I told the story multiple times, for the longest time, Linda couldn't see John live. She just, when he came, she'd say it's too soon. And then when he came, she says, I think it's time. And the whole concert, she just kept reaching my and grabbing my hand and saying, Rick's next to us. Rick's next to us. Slugline was the first John Hyatt CD or cassette I remember hearing, and I remember really not sure how I liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Riding with the King was the first album that I felt like I connected with, but I certainly remember Slugline, and there are a lot of great songs to sing along with on this album. And so one last story, and then we'll take our break. So Linda always asks me, is it a Doctor Who night or is it a Hyatt night? Because I alternate every other Wednesdays and I go, it's a John Hyatt night. And she goes, what are you singing? And I said, Dancing in the Street, no more Dancing in the Street. She goes, what? And so (laughs) I played it and she started singing the lyrics. And she's, wow, you're going really old. And then she started asking like, why, how are you doing? I said, we're doing alphabetical order. Oh, okay. She made her smile hearing the song. I can't wait to get into it, to talk it with you. It is very vintage John Hyatt for all that entails, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we're going to break it all down in just a few minutes. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. And we're back. You were born mm -hmm. <laughs> the year this came out. So I was. I think that's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. And I discovered this album after Little Village came out. So it was in the mid 90s, is when mom had already gotten the trilogy and I think a couple of other ones. And we were ramping up from people who liked John Hyatt to what we are now rabid John Hyatt fans. And I took my allowance. I went on searches in the record stores of Boston to fill in all the back catalogs. And for a while, the white elephant was all of a sudden because of course it hadn't been re-released yet. But I will remind people that in the nineties, there was no Amazon. We couldn't just hit a button on the internet and find the CDs. We actually had to go and search them to fill in our collection. And when I got Slugline, <clears throat> I had plenty of free time. I remember I purchased it like in the summer and it was the summer before I had my first job, but I didn't have to go to summer camp. So I spent a lot of time hanging around, reading books, journaling, writing stories, and listening to everything from John Hyatt over and over again. So this one definitely laid a deep groove. And I remember doing the housework and dancing around and everything and just having a great time with this record. And this is a great track that pulls in all the things that are special about Slugline, I think. What did you, did you enjoy it? Did you feel like oh, I it loved was it. different? Okay. Yeah, it was different, but that's what I loved about it. And as I said, I, at that stage, I was not, oh, I'll be analytical about yeah. judging judge John Hyatt. I decided that I love John Hyatt and there was absolutely nothing that he could do wrong short of a few things. <laughs> here and there. But yeah, I, I, I totally love this album and I love the seventies feel of it. It, it probably started laying down that kind of wistful feeling of John as a parental figure in my life, because he was talking about things that I didn't have a direct memory of that placed him in that other generation. And yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I love that it was the same age as me and it's a whole lot of fun and it's clever, you know? Yeah. We're going to uh, we'll get to the lyrics in just a minute. The other thing I thought was interesting 
and since this is the first time we're talking about Slugline, is there's 12 songs, but it's under 40 minutes. This is, there is a lot of short to the point. And for a Southern boy living in a small town, Lake Charles, Louisiana, right? This was like, oh, is this kind of new wave? This yes. guy, he's different. And I love the cover, right? The mm-hmm. idea of, and to, I if you look at the Slugline cover, it has the photo of John covering up his face. And I smiled when, of course, take a drink, Bruce Springsteen put out Letter to You, which is his face, and he has the CD with his face covering half of it. I just thought that was really cool. And I'm thrilled that we're finally getting to talk about this uh, song off this CD. And just, we already wandered a bit from just the facts, but you make a very good point. I have it out on double CD because they were so short. The entire length of the 12 songs was 38 minutes and 22 seconds. No more dancing in the street clocks in at a whopping two minutes and 22 seconds. Yes. And here we are spending 45 (laughs) minutes on a podcast talking about it. Yes, it is. My turn to start. It is out in the street. They're trying to arrest my friend. They put him on ice now twice and he's back again. Very quick, very fast. This almost burst, this this is, as you talked about, this is angry John. This is energetic John. And I think, once again, I'm listening with fandom ears, but I feel like the song grabs you right away and you're just like, oh, I'm involved. I'm involved with it. Yeah. And you get that drum beat and, and yeah. And, um, it, and it grabs you with the, a story. There's some angst and some trouble here, but also there's a fight the power, a resilience that they put him on ice twice and he's back again. You, yeah. you can lock him up, but he's still going to get into some ruckus. Yes. Uh, so continuing on, we did that dance in Harlem all across the USA. From the Tapanzee to the Golden Gate, he was an animal all the way. And yeah, I, I just, I love that sea to shining sea, bridge to bridge way that he makes it encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get into the chorus. Please. But now there's no more dancing in the street. Now there's no more dancing in the street. And if there is any question about if he was making a reference to that great Motown hit, the next verse or yeah, tells us yeah. he, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. I, I We'll get to that in just a moment, but I do. I remember knowing this Motown song. And then, of course, the Mick Jagger, David Bowie for Live Aid, that film they did where them doing that duet was just iconic. I didn't know about until I was researching this. (laughs) I just saw it the day, yes, for the first time. Wow. So what'd you think? I, I was like. I'm going to hold because we're not okay. talking about David Bowie or Mick Jagger. Okay. I loved it, but it was like, I think they were intentionally being subversive in ways that probably okay. went over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. Oh, very nice. I, we might do a special episode about that. Yeah. <laughs> so Martha and the Vandellas told you how to do as you please. Now all you idiots are dancing with the Bee Gees. 
So once again, in context, 79, 70, the late 70s, disco is king, the Bee Gees, which... And he's not pulling punches by no. saying, you idiots, yeah. Yeah. Of course, I will always defend the Bee Gees because they were doing this music before the disco, and it wasn't their fault that movie producer said, hey, do you got any songs? Yeah, we'll do this soundtrack for you and then sold bajillion dollars. So, it, yeah. And so he's our narrator saying, let's get back to our Motown roots. Let's get back to real rock and roll. Now you guys are idiots dancing to the Bee Gees. And and so once again, there is that young, angry disco sucks. Rock and yes. roll, baby, everything. Yes. And I'm not going to like anything that's mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they introduce their latest record, you're as thrilled as a rat in a maze. You got to do your stuff. Now you're sexless and dull. Whatever happened to the latest craze? That's exactly what you just talked about, right? <laughs> you're the new Taylor Swift comes, the new Bruce Springsteen comes. You're immediately running to the record store. You're buying it. You can't wait. You're picking up Hotel California and going, this is the greatest album ever. And, right. And John and someone is, else is controlling you. Someone else is yes. putting the cheese out and looking at your every move and deci deciding if you are up to snuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because especially now, not as today, it's a totally different world. But even in during the 70s, right? the record companies decided what worked with radio stations to what's going to be played. And uh -huh. you were to a certain degree force fed. This is, we're going to play the song and we're going to play it a lot. And it's, yeah, he's pushing on that and, and saying there's no more dancing. There is no, that freedom, that, uh -huh. that love of rock and roll, that love of music, the love of freedom is just really well done on this to make this for a two and a half minute song. <laughs> yes. This not at all as a dig at our age difference, Jesse, but I am curious in the later part of the eighties, the mixtape yeah. was very sure ubiquitous and you could make copies for your friends and pass things out to introduce to people in 1979. If you wanted to share a copy of something with a friend, was it loaning them your only vinyl? Yes, yes. It or okay. the cassette. Yeah. That's why Rick went to Linda's house because she had borrowed his John Hyatt cassette and give uh -huh. me back my John Hyatt tape. I don't okay. it, it may have been an eight track. I don't remember. I I should go oh. ask her. Yeah, give me back because yeah, that you would lend that because it wasn't till later you had the dual cassette deck where you could put one on and tape it. Yes. The other thing we do is tape the songs from the radio, but that really makes me sound old. <laughs> yeah, and I'm remembering the days where they had the little tabs that you could push in so you couldn't accidentally tape over the mixtape that you just made, which, exactly. of course, everyone put scotch tape over to... Okay. Yes. Now that are we sponsored officially by Ben Gay? And, yes. Uh... <laughs> yes. Is it real or is it what was that? Yeah, the cassette tape. They remember the Maxell. Uh, yes, Maxell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
And then I adore this break. Love the, and it's one, two, three, four, don't imagine anymore. And that guitar break. And you said you always heard it a different way, right? I always hear, and it's one, two, three, four, don't come back here anymore. Which I think speaks to that rebellious spirit that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And And then it's, it's, go ahead. Five, six, seven, eight, have another empty plate. And that is the lyrics that we have found online. And that is always what I heard too. Yeah. Yeah. I think speaks to social unrest and injustice and also just, yeah, who cares if our plates are empty? We're still dancing and having fun out in the street. And I think you could also interpret this as mindless pop, Mm -hmm. mindless dance music. It's an empty plate. We're not giving you anything to think of. We're not Dylan. We're not Woody Guthrie. We're not Marvin Gaye or these things. And of course, there's plenty of fluff from Motown that are just damn good songs. But there is this, there is a complexity and a joy to that, that at this point in John's young life, as I would imagine, that he's, as you said so eloquently, I'm not going to like anything that's cool. I'm, I am I liked Elvis Costello before he was on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And you okay. do hear a little bit of the Elvis Costello, how they, in oh, the absolutely. voice, don't you think? Yeah, yeah definitely. This was a couple of albums before they did the duet together, but I think the comparisons were already coming out in the press then. Yes. Yeah. And Lisa Mesh was mm-hmm. the other friend. It was Jennifer, Linda, Becky, Lisa Mesh were the four friends that all went to Catholic school together. The four of them probably knew each other by definitely by the seventh grade, but I think Linda and Jennifer, because you had different Catholic elementary schools that go up to the Catholic high school. And I remember the conversation that Lisa Mesh, and by the way, she was always Lisa Mesh. Her first name's Lisa, her last name's Mesh, but it was always just Lisa Mesh. Linda is talking about how Elvis Costello sounds a lot like John Hyatt. And Lisa said, no. John Hyatt sounds like Elvis Costello, Linda, <laughs> because she was she was a very big Elvis Costello and thought that in the higher ranking that Elvis uh, was a little is the one who would have been. I thought that was very funny. Proof is in the pudding in the long term. Is there someone out there counting down all of Elvis Costello's songs on a podcast? And there you go. Exactly. All, all right. right. Go ahead. Sure. So just when things were getting funny, you had to reconsider all of the rules. Now consumer affairs has got you dancing in pairs, dressed up like a bunch of fools. Now that there's no more dancing in the street and the chorus repeats over and over. I don't think we have to speak it, but it is a lovely fade out. And he does so many different things with that couplet. And yeah, like it's a lot of fun for those Two minutes and 22 seconds. My, I I don't have a lot of regrets because I've been lucky enough to see him multiple times, not as much as someone on this podcast, but I have been able to see him. And I've always wished that 
he'd throw in something from some before that riding with the king is usually about as far back as he'll go. And I would love to hear this live. I just would love to hear him doing it live and just that energy of an adult John just ripping it through it. But there are moments when you're at a band and, and they do they just pull something out and anything from Slugline would just make Linda would make her year. Yeah, I agree. I if I had a choice from Slugline, this would not be the song. Right. But yeah, it would be fun. And as you were saying that, I just even wish that we had come up with a cover of an older person yeah. uh, covering it just to yeah. hear what it would be like or a stripped down version because the two covers that we did find were also of their time. There were a yes. few years later than this. Yeah. And I think they had more of that 80s slickness that was yeah. just starting to appear in John's version. So I'm now trying to guess which song you'd want to hear live, but don't tell me. <laughs> you can save that when we talk about it. Okay. Uh, so it's going to be a while, put it that way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that would be a lot of fun. That's yeah. Anything off this would be pretty good. So I do. This would be not my top choice, but it would make the top five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do. Just before we get into ranking, just want to give a nod so that it doesn't feel like we're avoiding the subject that there has been throughout the decades also a lot of debate over whether the original song Dancing in the Street is actually a call to protest and a call for racial reconciliation, which is very interesting to talk about in 2023, just as it would have been very interesting to talk about in 1964 or in 1979. Unfortunately, there hasn't been as much progress as we would have wanted through any of those decades. So if you see it in that light, and I will say that the songwriters have like poo-pooed it, but I think any audience who hears something in a piece of art is valid. Yes. It, it's interesting to think of the original Dancing in the Street as a call to protest and a call to ask for equality and then have this song come along and almost be like, a, hey, you guys, we were going to protest. We were going to make things better. And now we're dancing with the Bee Gees and there's this sanitized version of things and we're all idiots and whatever happened to the latest craze. It's interesting to listen to it that way. Yeah. I, I and, do think that I like that a lot. I had not thought about that, but yeah, that's good. And that also brings into context the idea of arresting my friend and yeah, the, they have put the protesters away. They have locked up the, the voices of dissent and yeah, just where things were getting funny, you had to reconsider all the rules and we're just paired off and going around in circles. No more dancing in the street. I love it. I love it. All right. So you get to go first because I went first last time on ratings. So you go ahead and yours and then I'll share what I'm struggling with. Okay. As a reminder, 
we are not judging on a one to five scale of all songs in ever written. We are judging on a scale of John Hyatt songs, which means some of them have to be ones or twos. And you have to look at the long view. My personal extra points come from whether a song changes me, whether it's something that I would put on if someone had never heard of John Hyatt before as an introduction. So none of those things are true about this song. I still love this song. I think it's fun. I will listen to it. I will sing along to it. Absolutely. I, I think there might be more to it than meets the eye, which this podcast is such a blessing that I get to scratch the surface a little bit and discover these things. But all that said, I'm going to give it a very solid two that it is not the lowest end of the everything is great, but we still have to think of it as a scale John Hyatt catalog, but it's certainly not even above average. It is a slightly below average John Hyatt song. Yeah. And so I, I, I can't give it a four because it just, it isn't four worthy. Emotionally, if I was trying to rank John Hyatt songs in order of enjoyment and love, this would certainly be in the top 20, 25 or something because it is so catchy and it was played so early in my relationship with Linda. I'm going to stick to it. It's a three. It's a great three. It is really wonderful. There are better songs on this CD, but I agree with you. I tap my toes to this one. I smile. I sing at it. And I will, if I was just grading the one, two, three, four, I'd give it a five because I think that is genius (laughs) that just that anger and the way he's doing it. But yeah, overall, I'm going to give it a three. And Get the pitchforks ready, and I don't have to uh, defend my reputation as the green meanie anymore. No, and out of honor for you, I didn't do three and a half because I was tempted to. (laughs) My goodness, (laughs) not even two and a half, three and a half. Yeah, and I do have to ask Jesse: Did the covers influence your rating at all, or it was all about John's version? Yeah, it was just all about John's version. I liked the cover versions. I, I think they were fun. As I said, I was disappointed we couldn't find a live version of him doing it, I would have loved to seen that. But then I realized you aren't got cell phones back then. You don't have, you barely have camcorders, right? It is, it is. It was someone who was actually probably working for the venue or the record company or something like that competition that was making recordings in those days. That being said, I will have to dig into my collection because I know I do have some of that era and Emil Bastings, if you're listening, maybe you can point us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. He is the webmaster of the John Hyatt archives, which is also where we are looking for the lyrics. So thank you very much, Emil. Absolutely. So if someone wants to reach us and you, how can they? They can reach a perfectly good podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page for perfectly good podcast. We're also, of course, 
always making a nuisance of ourselves on the John Hyatt fan page, fan group. I'm Sylvan Groth on the Facebook and I am Sylvan Green Eyes on Twitter. And I am at Jesse Jackson DFW on Twitter. I am also Jesse Jackson on Facebook. You can hear me talk music on Set Lusting Bruce. I will give a quick blurb when this comes out. It's going to have been a couple weeks ago, but on recording today, I just recently put out my Mary, the writers of Mary Climb In, both Lorraine Mangione and Donna Luff have written a book about women who love Bruce Springsteen and their journey. And it, we had a wonderful interview with them and a great discussion. Check that out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And with all due respect to Michael Elliott, I think there's room for another John Hyatt book or two with that kind of focus on his fans or beyond the biography and the influence of the songs. So that would be really cool. I think that you're needing to do this. We're just waiting <laughs> what we should do. What I can do is I can give you all the transcripts of our discussion. And that'll be the start of your, your book. It's not the first time the thought has crossed my mind. Let's just put it that way. All right. Very nice. All right. Listeners. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us. It means the world to us. We are so excited. We have started. We are two songs into a new letter, which is just satisfying and so great. We appreciate you hanging with us and have a little faith. Have a little faith. Bye. Baby, we can come on. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.